You know, I'm going to give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> Stop laughing. And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty ass jokes on my ass, too. Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy podcast. And today I'm pleased to introduce you to the television program Seinfeld. Uh, a lot of you probably haven't heard of it, so I figured I would bring it to the table. Uh, but before we get into it, let me remind you, blindmike.net is the place to be. That's what the kids call it. Uh, so make sure you stop there. And what you can do there is you can sh- support the show financially by uh, buying some merch. You can stop by the Patreon if you want these Why You Laughing episodes a week early, as well as uh, bonus content, the Blind Mike Project, uh, Quincy episodes that we watch, all that fun stuff. Uh, Then you can support the Patreon. Or if you want to support the show for free, hit up Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, You know what to do. Leave five-star reviews, all that good stuff. Supposedly, it all helps the show. So make sure you do it in some form or fashion. And you can find the links for all of those things at blindmike.com. Dot net, and uh, we are remote again, so I apologize for any uh, technical issues we may experience. And I have to say, Matt from Rhode Island has bailed on us. I, this is the longest paternity leave I've ever heard of. I think the kids just took the training wheels off his bike. I don't understand this. <laughs> has it been like a week? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think, he, I think he's graduating soon, so I'm thinking about what to get him. But uh, we know for, oh, for those that don't know, we've never said it on the show. I don't think Matt from Rhode Island is a father. So congratulations. Hit up Matt from Rhode Island. Support vaulted podcasts. Uh, he could use it. So he's a new papa. Congrats, old friend. New daddy. Um, and hurry back. You know, we, we miss you. Miss you, bud. All right. So, uh, yeah, as I mentioned today, we were getting into Seinfeld, the TV show. Uh, if you go back in the history of Why You Laughing, you will find an early episode titled, Is Jerry Seinfeld Funny? And I believe I did make sure in there somewhere, uh, Craig corrected me earlier and said that uh, I may have mocked the <laughs> the talent of Jerry Seinfeld, but I was really focused on his stand-up and more so the reputation of his stand-up and kind of the smugness that he uh, speaks about stand-up with. But you'll never hear me criticize his ability to create a television show uh, because he and Larry David created what I feel is the best ever. And I am well aware that Seinfeld is a pretty popular program. I know you guys have probably heard about it, Um, but hopefully we can bring some information you didn't know before, have some discussions that you'll enjoy listening to. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, Seinfeld's probably a different category, but I am amazed. I do always appreciate when people reach out and say like, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really a Patrice fan. I didn't know much about him until the episode, or Ron and Fez, or Skanks for the Memories. We've gotten messages like that, um, so I always enjoy that. So uh, any any subjects you guys like, and uh, would maybe like to hear more about, make sure you let us know. Um, but today we will focus on, uh, I guess, uh, the creation and some of the backstory of Seinfeld, and uh, some of the arguments that go on. Um, regarding the last couple seasons, Larry David leaving, um, uh, the finale, different things that, uh, you know, I guess controversies around the show, um, that I have, uh, very, very hard opinions on. We're going to get opinionated today, folks. Uh, but 
we have to start with some of the, uh, this is a fact-based program for God's sakes. So we got to get some of the facts out of the way. Uh, shout out to our boy Clarence Worley for correcting us and pointing out that when we mocked Gina Grad in the Man Show episode, uh, there, the Mr. T reference did make sense. I guess it had something to do with Corolla's book. So uh, as Craig said, this is our second time trying to record this. As Craig pointed out, that's a big upgrade. If that's all we got wrong last week, that's a big upgrade from claiming that Joe Rogan married Bob Schimmel's daughter. So we're getting better while, as the weeks go on here. Just It's just not as juicy. <laughs> yeah. But if we fuck anything up today, make sure to let us know. You can do that on Twitter, Patreon, wherever you want to reach out to us. Um, it was funny, that guy, Clarence Worley that I mentioned, he just subscribed and he messaged me through the Patreon and was like, hey, Mike, I just subscribed uh, just to let you know this, which was kind of hurtful, but also very sweet. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's he just subscribed just to get a message to me. That's hey, uh, nice. here's five bucks. You fucked this up. <laughs> You're an idiot, but there you go. <laughs> uh, remember, blindmike.net if you want to do that. But anyways, uh, you guys may remember we mentioned in um, one of the Carson episodes we did that Jerry Seinfeld was kind of targeted as a late night guy, which makes sense if you know his act. Um, you kind of know his reputation. You know, he's a very clean cut his act is very family friendly, that sort of thing. Um, and he does seem to be like, um, you know, I think he's become a, a bit of a curmudgeon and has kind of a smugness and arrogance to him that I don't always care for, but he is capable of talking about anything. Like whether you look at his act or just the, the premises on the show, um, he can make humor out of, you know, pretty much any bland subject. So, the idea of him being a talk show host does it, it does make sense. Um, I don't know how well. I, I might be wrong here, Craig, because I think the last time we recorded, I said I didn't think he would be that good. But when you look at comedians in cars getting coffee, it's a, it's in, in a way a late night format. It's much more laid back and conversational, but. You could easily have done something like that. I think that was a good interview show. Obviously, yeah, but it's mostly about the one thing he loves. More than anything, like cars. Just talking stand up. Yeah, you're right. And cars. Yeah. Would he have? Would he have been able to sit through, uh, you know, some B-list actress talking about a crazy vacation to Hawaii she had or something? Uh, there was an I alligator. Would have been able to put yeah. on a, a brave face for that. Yeah. Th- there was an alligator a hundred yards away from me in the same body of water. Okay. Would you believe it? <laughs> Actually, it, yeah. I don't know if Jerry could have faked that. But no, honestly, if he doesn't fake it, then the show is gold. That's true. That's true. There's something to that. So who knows what Jerry could have done in late night. Um, and as a lot of you may know, the Seinfeld Chronicles, which was the original, original title. That's kind of like when uh, Zuckerberg changed it from the Facebook. It's like, this doesn't sound right. The Seinfeld Chronicles sounds very off. Like <laughs> It doesn't fit. <laughs> so uh, uh, it was originally called the Seinfeld Chronicles and it was going to be like a late night program, but not in the traditional sense that you're thinking. I don't think Seinfeld wanted to be Carson necessarily or have that type of a show. So when NBC wanted to work with him, he kind of pitched the idea. uh, Well, he and Larry David pitched the idea of how a comedian gets their jokes. So it would have had kind of a monologue-y presence in the original form that they pitched it, but it would have been a guy going through his day 
um, you know, and, and that storyline leads up to him going on stage and talking about it, which is basically how it worked in Seinfeld. I mean, obviously we see the stand up at the front as well. Um, so I don't know if it's the exact format that they pitched, but it was basically an excuse to get a show about nothing on the air, you know, mm. and it is a show about nothing in the sense that you can't, it's not about, you know, a bar in Boston, the way cheers is like, it doesn't have that central hook that you can get people on. But the idea of a show about nothing is in my opinion, vastly overblown because it's summed up very easily in like, you know, the idiosyncrasies and mundaneness of life that leads to all of our stories, <laughs> any story that we have. And that's why Seinfeld is so applicable. That's why you see so many people or hear so many people reference Seinfeld on a daily basis, because everything they ever talked about can be related to something in just your day-to-day -day life. So it is about that in a way. It's just too broad for a late 1980s TV pitch to to have uh, uh, you know elevator pitched it I guess it's, you know it's a show about three narcissists and an idiot in the city <laughs> right yeah so uh, speaking of those narcissists and idiot um, the original casting for the program was um, it, this is interesting so well, first of all George Costanza was originally supposed to be a stand up comic um, because Larry and Jerry were both stand ups. And by the way, I didn't include the clip for this because it didn't even dawn on me that we would talk about Larry's stand-up, which we should at some point. Um, but there's a clip of Louis, I think he was on Andrew Schultz's podcast, Louis C.K., talking about uh, Larry David's stand-up. And he was, I mean, I think everyone knows the story at this point of Larry getting on stage and just kind of looking at the crowd and going, meh, not tonight, <laughs> and walking off. <laughs> like, he just didn't like the looks of the crowd. But in Larry's material, there was even um, kind of like high-minded, weird stuff that you ended up seeing in Curb and Seinfeld, but just didn't translate to stand-up comedy. Well, he so, he would do... Uh, I saw one clip of his stand-up, and it was actually a pretty funny joke, and he'll, he just sat there, the, the crowd was silent, and he just goes, uh, yeah, the closest I ever came to death was when I masturbated with 104-degree fever. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It might've just been that he didn't hone in on exactly how, what his style would have been. You know what I mean? Like the way we talked about um, Jim Gaffigan in the Geraldo episode, we talked about Jim Gaffigan originally being dirty and then realizing his stuff worked better if he worked clean in, in a similar fashion. I wonder if it was just that Larry David hadn't figured out his, you know, whether it was the direction of Mitch Hedberg, where he's doing one-liners or whatever it is, from what I hear, I've never actually seen Larry stand up other than little stuff he's done here and there. Like um, in an episode of Curb where he's in the show, The Producers on Broadway, mm -hmm. he stops and does stand up for a minute. And it's, it's stuff where it's like, okay, I could, but anytime I've heard Larry David talk, it does feel different than his character on curb, like when he's doing real speeches and stuff, he just doesn't feel as natural as, you know, obviously him playing himself on curb, if that makes sense. You okay. know what I mean? Like yeah. his comedy doesn't seem to flow as naturally as it does in a script or improv show like curb. I think uh, in real life, he cares slightly more about people than he does on the show. And that's probably right <laughs> where the reservation comes. 
Right. So, um, well, before we talk about casting, we can talk about the characters themselves in that, uh, a lot of, so two of these, both the name Costanza and the name Kramer came from people in Jerry and Larry's lives. I think a lot of people know the Kramer story. I was not aware of the Michael Costanza story, which we'll get to in a second. I didn't know that. But uh, Kenny Kramer, I did know about, who was Larry David's real-life neighbor, kind of a a shut-in weirdo type of guy. Um, And to prove to you how much he's like the character of Kramer, uh, he didn't want the... um, uh, uh, he didn't want NBC using his name or he didn't want the, the show profiting off his name. He said, you can't use the good Kenny Kramer name. So they had thought about using the name Kessler. Uh, there's a couple jokes throughout the show about the name Kessler um, being Kramer's original name. And, and <laughs> I think, I think it was Larry that just said the name Kramer is funnier. Like there's something about the way that sounds. And I think this is similar with Costanza where they wanted to use the name Costanza because it just sounds funnier uh, than any other option they had. And so NBC went into the negotiating room with Kenny Kramer and they settled for $1,000. I like how he didn't want the show to make money off him. And I don't know if you knew this, but after he did like Seinfeld bus tours as the real Kramer. Well, that's, I mean, uh, which is encapsulated in the real Peterman bus tour. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this Kenny Kramer, I mean, they nailed it. If that's the type (laughs) of, that's literally, they predicted (laughs) like, um, uh, well, I guess this would have been after obviously, but in the, um, uh, in one of the Jackie Childs episodes where uh, Kramer's going up against the tobacco companies, he accepts being a model, <laughs> you know, like, and they're about to give him a boatload of money. And that was Kenny Kramer. That's who he was. Yep. So uh, they nailed that one. Michael Costanza. Um, apparently they just completely ripped off <laughs> or so it seems. So Michael, Michael Costanza was a real life childhood friend of Jerry. Um, and this is where it gets weird because uh, Kenny Kramer, at the very least, from the get-go, said, uh, don't use my name. And then they had to negotiate with him. Michael Costanza, on the other hand, the character was named George Costanza. Um, they used that, obviously, for years. Michael Costanza was in a couple episodes, at least one where, uh, you know, the episode where George and uh, Mike Moffat are backing and pulling into the same parking space. Yes. And they refuse to give in to each other. I think Michael Costanza plays like an ice cream man or something in that episode. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so Michael Costanza is in the show. So obviously on some level, he was fine with this. But then one day, uh, he was like, no more will you use my likeness. And what was the exact... um, Demand? Did I have it written down there? Uh, Michael Costanza sued NBC for a hundred million. While he was <laughs> he was bald, stocky, went to school with Jerry, was nicknamed "Can't Stand Ya" right. by a gym teacher, and he took pride in bathrooms and parking. The- that seems like a halfway decent <laughs> lawsuit. <laughs> seems pretty good. I, I'd give him twenty million. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I bet if he, I bet if he asked for that much, he would have got something. Yeah, a hundred million is certainly a steep ask. Um, you know, this is obviously when the show had taken off. So I think 
he's another one of these guys like Kenny Kramer, like you said, with the real Kramer bus tour. Uh, when a show gets that successful, a lot of people want to leech off it. Um, and even even with good intentions, like we mentioned this on the Blind Mike Project a few weeks ago. Remember we were talking about uh, the guy that plays the soup Nazi? Yep. Where he said financially during COVID, he had the, be- he had the best year financially of his life just doing cameos as the soup Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> so people have made in various, various ways a boatload of money off this show. Uh, so that's a little bit about Michael, Michael Costanza and Kenny Kramer. Um, if you're wondering where the Elaine Bennis's Bennis character is, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but first people that auditioned for the show, um, obviously it was Michael Richards, Jason Alexander and Julia Louis Dreyfus got the parts with Jerry, but I found there were a lot of very interesting names. I think the most interesting list is people up to play George Costanza. Definitely. Um, so just before we get into it, we'll get into each one, but what are some of the names of, uh, people who auditioned for George? Let's start with this one. David Allen Greer. (laughs) That's, that's a very weird one. (laughs) Although, I mean, he was, he was a kind of a star at the time. I think he was starting to be a a, a bigger name. I don't know if David Allen Greer was a, an enormous name. Like I remember him being popular when I was a kid. Was he ever a huge name in comedy? Uh, no, not really. You people correct me. You people, you people, uh, you older listeners always know this stuff better than me. Like I remember David Allen Greer being around. Yeah. I do. But not that you need to be a big name for this. I, it's just interesting that he was considered. Um, but would David Allen Greer fit that role? I really don't think so. Certainly not as well as a lot of the other names on this list. Yeah. Paul Schaefer. Schaefer's a weird one. And there's another show. I think there's another show that was uh, a part was specifically written p- for Paul Schaefer. What? I mean, does he have acting experience? Am I thinking the right guy? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, he's up, he's performing on camera with Logan on, you know, a basis, but he doesn't have that big a role that would make me think this guy has chops. <laughs> that's, what, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. Um, like you know, I've seen him in cameos as himself in various shows. Uh, but yeah, Paul Schaefer—that's a very weird one. But you know, there's the NBC relationship. Letterman was still there at the time, and uh, I, I don't know how close Jerry and Letterman were at the time. But maybe there's that tie-in. Uh, but that—I that certainly wouldn't have worked. I don't think. Um, Nathan Lane. <laughs> I love Nathan Lane. And that would have been, that could have been a fun one, I think. I could see that working. He's also a little Jason Alexander-y. Like, that might be the closest to what they actually ended up doing. Um, there's, another, nope. there's another name that's pretty close, I think. Well, there's a, certainly one that's close in looks as well. <laughs> or, or, yeah. Or, uh, uh, you know. Appearance. Appearance, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that that would be. <laughs> but I think Nathan Lane would have been a good one. Yep, and the one I'm referring to is Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah, so Danny DeVito. I mean, he turned down the role. He didn't have to audition. I don't believe, um, because I don't think he even wanted it. This is at a time where Danny DeVito was just in Twins, Batman. Like he, you know, he's starring in movies at this point. I don't know if Batman was before '89 or '88, whenever they were casting Seinfeld. 
But yeah, around that time where he's becoming huge and he was in taxi as Louis De Palma, a very, an iconic character. So I think at that point in his career, DeVito was like, if I'm doing TV, I'm starring in the show. I'm not going to be the sidekick. Right. Um, which is interesting because now he's on Always Sunny as like, you know, the, the third lead or whatever the fuck you would call him. Yep. Um, the Batman movie I was just referring to was in 1992. So we don't need to do that next week. Yeah. Okay. Thank God. We've, <laughs> we nipped that in the bud. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. Danny DeVito, I could see that working. I just think George would have been a gruffer character. Definitely. You know, like it, w- it would have been different. And I could just be purely saying this because of Frank Reynolds. Yeah. But in a weird way, he might have worked better as Kramer. <laughs> oh, maybe. Actually, you know? yeah. Again, appearance wise, obviously he lines up more with George. But if we didn't know that, maybe you'd be saying he could have been a good Kramer. I don't know. Just make, uh, but uh, yeah, he turned it down and had seemingly no interest. Cosmo Costanza. That's what we can call him. <laughs> right. Um, the last two are pretty big names. Uh, one is, I would say so. Yeah. One is, uh, Steve Buscemi. So Buscemi's another one. I see him more as, maybe this is because of the Sandler stuff he's done since, mm-hmm. but I see him more as Kramer than George. See, I could see other people playing George. I couldn't see anyone playing Kramer. No, I, and that's not even really what I mean. Like, I think Seinfeld is a perfect show. Mm-hmm. So I don't think any of these people would have worked as well, obviously. I think it would have been a different show. Definitely. Like, like I said, I think Nathan Lane could have pulled off a close performance to what George was. Yeah. But it would have been different. You know what I mean? You would have had to play more to his strengths than Jason Alexander's. Um, so it certainly would have been different. But these, a lot of these guys are so different. Now this uh, this last name on the oh, list. I hold think- on one second. I just want to say one more thing about oh, uh, Buscemi, where like I I can I understand why he auditioned for George, but the idea of those weird eyes just sliding into Jerry's apartment <laughs> with big ideas that does do something for me. I could see Buscemi in that role. Yeah. Uh, the show would have done a complete one eighty if this next character was George. It would have been very different and. In an interesting way. I'm not opposed to it. No, but uh, Chris Rock was up for George. <laughs> yeah, so Chris Rock, before he was on SNL, and I'd be curious to know how close uh, he and Jerry were. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that time, like, you, you know, we're throwing some names out that are, you know, Nathan Lane and Danny DeVito, like, had careers at the time. They're not what they are now, necessarily. But there's some names that are up for this role, and it's an NBC show. Going with Chris Rock at that time would have been a complete unknown guy. He's significantly younger than Seinfeld. Yep. Um, Also, obviously, being a black guy, a lot of the racial angles they took, it it would have been interesting to have him there for, for that reason, where you would have gotten that completely opposite perspective of Jerry. But that would have been a completely different show. Definitely. I mean, the idea is Jerry and George are very similar characters. And I don't think Chris Rock is playing basically Jerry's, uh, you know, a weirder version of Jerry. (laughs) You know, Jerry, I can't believe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we should avoid impressions, but. (laughs) Oh, is that racist now doing impressions of people? No, it just wasn't. It wasn't spot on. <laughs> I was trying, but but yeah, I, 
that would have certainly been interesting, but yeah, a completely different show. Now I wonder with that as well, like I said, diversity could have been a reason for that. Uh, but another reason is like I mentioned, the character of George Costanza was originally supposed to be a stand-up, So maybe they were looking more at standups. Yeah. You know what I mean? At that time. And then um, I, the idea, I guess of changing George into a, you know, nine to five schlub, was that having two stand-ups that now it's a show about stand-up. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas they wanted to make a show about everyday life. So at least one of them has to be working a regular job. Plus we wouldn't have got the, the, the funniest shit in the show was when George was with the Yankees. I thought, sure. I mean, George with the Yankees, George quitting and showing up the next day, which really happened to Larry. Like there's so many, you know, inner office things. Uh, George having sex in his office. That was while he was with the Yankees. Um, so yeah, all kinds of stuff that wouldn't have made sense if you had him just be a stand up. Right. And, and you also have to factor in Kramer doesn't work. No, no, he does. You know what I mean? So Elaine would have been carrying the brunt of, <laughs> of that load. So, um, <laughs> all right. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of, Oh, uh, one other name I didn't write down because you might not even know who it is. You know the name Larry Miller? Uh, no. He plays the doorman in Seinfeld. Ah, the uneducated doorman. Can't talk about anything but sports, I suppose. Mm. Um, He was up for George, and Jason Alexander said he walked in to the auditions, and he said the only other guy auditioning that day was Larry Miller, and Jason Alexander was like, oh, I get it. I'm here to get this guy, Larry Miller, to take less money because Larry Miller was Jerry Seinfeld's best friend. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I guess uh, Jason Alexander did such a good job that they ended up going with him instead of Jerry's buddy. But uh, Larry Miller also in a good good episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I'm sure that paid off when he sees what uh, Jason Alexander (laughs) makes. Yeah, I think think Jason Alexander is worth like $50 million. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Larry Miller doesn't mind that. Um, and he's another guy like that would have been a different show. I can see why they would want him as George. It would have been very different though. Cause that, and I'm glad they didn't do that because it would have been very easy for Jerry to cast his buddy. But if you watch Larry Miller's stuff, he also kind of would have to play a little smug the way Jerry is. Mm. And if you have two guys like that, I don't know if it works necessarily. You kind of have to have George be a beaten down self-conscious guy. Um, now people that, uh, were originally tapped to play what's next Elaine? Yeah. I think we should just do Kramer first. It's just two names and they're nothing. It rattled two off. Yeah. So the two most interesting, and I don't know how heavily they were considered, um, because, uh, the guy that was mainly considered before Michael Richards, uh, there were two people, one I had never heard of. Um, another was the guy who played the guy playing Kramer in the Jerry pilot. Do you remember that guy? <laughs> no. He's also in, I mean, he's in an episode of friends and he's in like Billy Madison. You'd know him if you saw him. Um, but he's playing the fake Kramer that steals the raisins. Why would I, why would I steal a box of raisins? Uh, yeah. Wait, yeah. Who was he in Billy Madison? Um, Carl, I believe. Oh, right. Yes. Um, so yeah, that guy originally auditioned to play Kramer. Didn't get it. When you, if you watch those episodes, he is kind of perfect. I like Michael Richards is the perfect guy, but if Michael Richards got hit by a bus during auditions, this guy, I think would have done. Okay. 
Um, but the uh, two big names that auditioned for Kramer, uh, one was Jeffrey Tambor. Well, you could see, right? Kramer would have been a much creepier character, I think, if it was Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like in, in uh, the episode, The Entourage, where Jeffrey Tambor is playing himself, he's a Kramer-esque character, but he's just a, a weirder, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think they would have had to go a different direction. I could see that. I could see what they were going for. The one that I can't necessarily see, and it's surprising that these guys were up for two of the same roles, uh, Tony Shalhoub. Are you familiar? I know I know that name. That would be Monk. Oh, yes. And uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Wings. I'm a big Tony Shalhoub guy. I don't see him playing Kramer. George. But the interesting thing is, the interesting thing is, do you know who else was up to play Adrian Monk when USA was launching that show? Michael Richards? It was originally supposed to be Michael Richards, I guess. And it ended up going to uh, Tony Shalhoub. I see. I could, I could see Tony Shalhoub being a George. Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Monk has more of the Nebuchy George style. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that a little more. More than Kramer, certainly. Uh, but like he, he got wings right after this, and his wings character, I guess, is a little uh, kind of an oddball. Uh, so I don't know. I guess that's what they were thinking. Uh, and then Elaine. There's a list of women who were slotted to play Elaine as well. Uh, the character of Elaine was introduced after the pilot, right? Uh, you know, so I've, the, the original female voice in Seinfeld was supposed to be the waitress. Like if you go back and watch the pilot, which doesn't hold up as well. The, the first two seasons really don't hold up, which we're about to get into. Um, but the pilot, uh, there's a waitress that gives the fellas some guff. And that was supposed to be kind of their, I don't know if it would be moral compass or voice of reason or what it would be. But when they went to the diner, this waitress was kind of supposed to be that female voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they realized they wanted a more prominent female voice on the show, which thank God they did. I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is great on the show, but here are some other options that would have played a lane. Uh, Patricia Heaton. From um, Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. I, I could see it. it that one's not bad. One, it's not bad. I don't think it would have been perfect. I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus seems a little more playful, and I think her tone would have obviously fit better. Mm-hmm. But it's not not too much of a reach. No. Nope. Uh, Megan Mullally? I mean, that would have been interesting. Who's like, that? I could have, what do I know? That is... Um, uh, she's in Will and Grace. Oh, she plays the yeah, uh, yeah. you know the wacky broad. She she yep. plays uh she's Nick Offerman's real life wife and plays his wife on uh, Parks and Rec. Yep. Okay. Um, she could have been. She actually could have been great. I could see that. Um, I think Elaine would have been a little maybe ditzier or crazier or something, but like that could have fit. Yep. Uh, Marissa Haggerty. Marushka Hargitay. Oh, that is spelled correct. I thought that was just a. Uh... <laughs> I thought that was a typo. Yeah, Mar- <laughs> Day from SVU. I don't, I, I don't know SVU that well, and that's the only thing I know her from. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't seem incredibly playful, but who knows? Maybe that could have worked. Uh, and this last one, and if this was happened, I can guarantee you Jerry and Elaine would have never dated in the show. I was, yeah. <laughs> uh, Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah, so you know what? I'm not totally against that idea of casting. For one reason, Rosie in Curb is very good. Great. Like she has a couple very good episodes in that show. Mm -hmm. So 
she could I think she could have fit the tone of Seinfeld well. The character would have to be completely different. Yep. And listen, uh, I know I'm no prize if you look at me physically. You know, no one's going home and bragging about betting Mike Geary necessarily. I'm not a trophy. Right. This is not this is not a podcast of lookers by any means. But if you look at Jerry Seinfeld, the character's track record of dating, it would be hard to get us to believe that he had interest in dating Rosie O'Donnell. That would just be difficult to uh, to pass along. So I think they would have had to come up with a different storyline as far as that goes. Right. It wouldn't. And I do. I do honestly think, especially in the '90s, it was a different time. Don't sue me here, <laughs> but I do think it would have been weird. Rosie playing a lot of the uh, sexual or sexually based storylines. I do think that would have been weirder than someone like Julia Louis Dreyfus. Well, the game episode, it w- it would have been an easy winner. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so that would have been weird. Also, I've said Deborah Messing. Um, you folks in the, uh, corrections department, please, uh, let me know. I couldn't find anything to back that up, but I swear I heard, I know she is in an episode, one of the great episodes, by the way, she's a rabid anti-dentite. Um, but I couldn't find anything that said she actually auditioned for Elaine. So I could be wrong about that one, but I think she was in the running as well. But regardless, they picked probably the three best people that could play it. You know what I mean? You can do this with every show. Where it's like, you know, Stevie Van Sand was originally supposed to play Tony Soprano. Do you think that would have worked? You can do it with any show. But it's impossible to imagine it any different than the way it came out. Particularly with this show, because it's one of the best ever. Um, But, very smart move to add the character of Elaine. And I think our first clip is them kind of talking about that process, right? Yep. They made, you know, two uh, substantial changes between the pilot and, and the next four episodes. One was um, uh, the character of the waitress that Lee Garlington played at the coffee shop was, in essence, supposed to be the fourth character. Kev, you sure this is decaf? Where's the orange indicator? It's missing. I have to do it in my head. Decaf left, regular right. Decaf left, regular right. And Lee came in one day, having rewritten her big scene, and handed it in to Larry. And, you know, in her defense, she had no idea how awful a mistake that was. You know, her, her <laughs> days were numbered from that point on. But it was probably a, a good cut. I don't know that, that being tied to a waitress in the coffee shop would have meant much. <laughs> yeah, that is, I, I never heard that part. I always knew about the Elaine character. Mm-hmm. I didn't know uh, Colin Quinn has a great story about that. Being cast as essentially, uh, he had one line in Crocodile Dundee 2. <laughs> and he rewrote the entire script so that he is his character is leading Crocodile Dundee around New York City. <laughs> and he handed it to the fucking director or the writers or someone. Uh, so that's a very ballsy move. I kind of give her credit. But yeah, had she known, like in, in, in 2022, anyone in television would have known how horrible an idea that would be to submit to Larry David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's almost like the pun, the go-to punchline where it's like, yeah, it would be like bothering Larry David with this. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, but it, it all worked out for the best. It's where it came um, from. It has to originate from somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, definitely worked out for the best. But uh, another change that was kind of made that I think made the show better was 
Jason Alexander started playing George essentially as Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible. If you know any of Woody Allen's work, it's impossible to then watch Seinfeld and not think, Oh, I wonder if Larry David was influenced by this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's very, not, not that Larry ripped him off in any way, but the influence is, I mean, crystal clear. And so because George was essentially Larry David, uh, Jason Alexander started playing him in a Woody Allen way. And you can see that a lot in the pilot. And I'm kind of glad that he found more of a George. Like he really became his own character to the point where he's not Woody Allen or Larry David. Like obviously the George Costanza character is very similar to Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm, but there's a lot of differences as well. Right. Like he became his own voice, which I think certainly helped the show a lot. Definitely. For sure. Um, now, the first two seasons did not don't don't hold up. Basically, everyone says you can start watching season three. Um, some people might push back on me with two. Two's okay, but two, yeah, I, I'll get some pushback with season two. But season one is just a different show, and I think it's unwatchable. It's pretty cool. It's uh, damn near unwatchable for sure. Like I think easily the the pilot's not horrendous. It's not great either. It's not horrendous. But I think the episode where they offend the the bus boy or they get the bus boy fired mm-hmm. and then they go to his apartment and he's looking for the cat. I would I would mark that as the worst episode of Seinfeld hands down. Uh, it's up there. That and um, the bus boy takes over. You th- If you watch only that, you're like, oh, this is a show about the bus boy and his wacky friends. Right. <laughs> Um, that one sucks, and I forget if it's season one or two when they're stuck in the lobby of the restaurant. You think that's one of the worst episodes? Like it, it bug. I don't know. I it, I go back and forth on it sometimes. Oh, that's hilarious. People are gonna push back on this one hard. Pro, that's no, the I episode know. that people say like marks. That's when Seinfeld became Seinfeld. It doesn't. I understand like there's funny stuff in the episode, but it doesn't like Seinfeld for. Yeah. Like, I don't know, just a lot, a lot of that episode. Uh, I said caught right. <laughs> <laughs> no one answered. <laughs> I think you're going to get a lot of pushback there. I think that's crazy. But I think a lot of season two, um, it doesn't it, put it this way. Not that it's bad because you can compare it to other shows from the 90s, and I'm sure it's a hell of a lot better. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't hold up the way every other season does, I would say. Right. Um. Also, kind of a plot hole there. The reason Kramer's not in that episode, the Chinese restaurant episode, yep. is because like his character is supposed to be like a shut-in and doesn't leave his apartment. But we see him in just the episode I was referring to with the cat. He goes with that guy's apartment uh, with George. Right. So it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Come on, Larry. See? You're coming over to my side. It's a great episode, but... <laughs> great, strong. <laughs> I... Well, we'll see. Well, fans, how about you decide? <laughs> <laughs> right in, folks. Call in. Tell us. Um, but yeah, I don't think the first two seasons hold up as well. Uh, but anyways, what do we have next? Uh, Larry David, uh, the original pitch. Okay, yeah. So let's let's hear about that. It did. Um, no, we initially were pitching a show about how a comedian gets his material. <laughs> So we would follow a comedian around in his daily life. We'd go from the grocery store to, uh, he'd, to the dry cleaner, maybe on a, he'd go on a date, he'd hang out with his friends. And then at the end of the show, he would do a monologue 
and incorporated into the monologue would be some of the things that we saw happen on the show. Uh, that, and that's ostensibly where the comedian got the material. And that's, that was, that's, that was what, the idea that's what they was pitched to NBC. Yeah. And NBC believed in the show, so they said, <laughs> they said we're committing to four episodes. Yes, yeah, right, four episodes. <laughs> four ep Normally it's 13 or eight or something. Uh, yes, at least, yeah. So uh, we didn't really think that uh, they had too much confidence in the show. Which is funny because, yes, they only committed to four episodes, and that's a very short order. But Seinfeld didn't take off in the first season. And I don't know that it necessarily took off until the third season, maybe, but Seinfeld got a lot more breathing room than most shows get. Mm. So it's funny to get the four order episode and they're thinking like, they don't have a lot of confidence in us, but in hindsight, a lot of shows get a lot less time on the air, particularly back then when it's, we have to put your shows on air. Right. We can't, we can't just let you create a season and then go, ah, you know what? We'll put it on Peacock because it's not <laughs> worthy of being in prime time. You know, like they kind of have to commit to that if they're going to make waste that money, uh, that much money on that many episodes. So good for NBC for letting that play out. Um, and I, I think uh, I'm trying to think now my cheers, my cheers database is on the Fritz. I haven't talked cheers in a long time, but I think cheers had kind of a similar early run where they weren't, you know, doing anything crazy in the writings, but NBC, like, let it play out, let him give him some time. And that was pretty rare back then. Mm. Um, so, uh, trying to think of where I want to go next. Cause I think our next thing, we jumped pretty far ahead. Am I wrong? No, this is uh Brian Cranston. Oh yeah. So this is basically just a clip talking about the rhythm of the show, which is very unique. So I just wanted to play this quick and we can talk about that. Now I had the, the great good fortune of being in comedy boot camp, uh, being on on Seinfeld uh, for a few years, and watching Larry David craft a joke like a surgeon, and Jerry and Jerry and he working together, like it, talking in a language you can't really understand unless you're on the inside. And I was able to be watching that tennis match between them and going, "Oh my God, they're." the timing and care, it's like a souffle. It's that delicate. You could crush a joke or you can lift it just by the way it's delivered or the timing. The reason I included that clip is because I think it's very interesting. Like, uh, first of all, I don't know of any show to the extent that Seinfeld is where like you can tell a Seinfeld fan kind of by the way they talk. Mm -hmm. I think the best example is probably the podcast Tuesdays with stories. Oh, for sure. Listen to that for about five seconds, <laughs> even <laughs> before they throw out their own Seinfeld references and tell me if you think they've ever watched the program. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there's, there's a very specific cadence and rhythm to the, the dialogue in Seinfeld. Unlike any show I've ever seen where it's very specific it's all, it seems like it's all very much in Jerry and Larry's voices for every character, yet it works somehow. I was always amazed at that watching Seinfeld. Like I said with Larry Miller, the doorman, um, you, could, you, know, you can name a bunch of examples of characters that come in for just one episode, and their cadence and rhythm seems to fit perfectly with what the show is. And there was a line in reference to that that always stood out to me from the reunion episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Which a lot of people say is the best season of Curb, by the way. Oh, it's it's easily. Um, so in the reunion episode, they're casting Larry's 
ex-wife, Cheryl, to play George's ex-wife in the reunion. And when she's being cast, she says something to Larry to the effect of like, do I fit that rhythm? You guys kind of have your own thing. And the way she said that always stood out to me because I was like, that is true. Like the casting process must have been very specific for Seinfeld because I feel like not everyone fits just the way they talk and deliver lines, you know? Right. Exactly. And so many characters would come in and kind of, you know, steal an episode that more than any other show Seinfeld has one-off characters that are iconic mm-hmm. that, you know, ev- the people that are just casual fans of the show Bookman. can reference and no- the soup Nazi being the obvious one. Bookman. Oh, B- Bookman, the library cop. Yeah. There's a ton of examples. So, more than any other show, they have characters that come in and do that. So the casting process must have been a real bitch to get through, especially with someone as fastidious as Larry David. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's next? Um, on the list, it was ta- it's talking about Jerry turning down some money. Oh, yeah. So we don't want to get that far ahead yet. Right. Uh, because because another thing I wanted to talk about what, uh, is the last two seasons. And people talking about season eight and nine as substantially worse. And Mm. uh, I wanted to do this episode with someone that disagreed with that standpoint. Uh, But our scheduling just kind of got fucked up. So we had to do it this week. Uh, I don't know where you stand on it, Craig. Are you a season eight and nine guy? I don't hate them. I, I actually love seasons eight and nine. And I think they're two of the funniest seasons. Now, if you don't know, they have some of the funniest episodes, a lot of the funniest episodes, I think. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the funniest lines I think are in season eight and nine. Now, a lot of people will tell you that the show dropped off after season seven. That's when Larry David left. And, uh, there might be some people watching or listening right now that aren't aware of that. Because if you're not paying close attention, like if you're not looking for it, like I, like we said, I think it's still a very good, funny show. But once you, it's pointed out to you, you can tell. You can certainly tell. Yeah. <laughs> like for example, the the uh, Merv Griffin show episode where Larry, I mean, I'm sorry, where Kramer has the set of the Merv Griffin show in his apartment. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite episodes. And has some of the best lines in the show, in my opinion. But that never would have happened with Larry David because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the idea, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. The idea, because the, the, the most plots of Seinfeld, you can say, I could see myself happening. This, I can see this happening to myself. Correct. The idea of walking down the street, looking in a dumpster and saying, hey, there's Merv Griffin's old set in perfect condition. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any goddamn sense. So there's a lot of plots like that in the last two seasons of Seinfeld that people say are very far fetched. Um, another reference. So this is when Jerry essentially is running the show with a team of writers. And they say that Jerry went to um, kind of typical sitcom tropes or sitcom staples that Larry never would have gone to. I will say one of my favorite episodes is uh, season eight. Uh, the Kenny Rogers chicken roasters episode. I was just perfect timing. I was just about to mention that episode because you've seen in other sitcoms, the body switch, you know what I mean? Where one character takes one actor takes on another character's traits and vice versa. 
Mm-hmm. And that happens in the Kenny Rogers Roasters episode where uh, Jerry's staying in uh, Larry's apartment. I'm, I keep doing that. <laughs> Jerry's staying in Kramer's apartment and Kramer's staying in Jerry's apartment and they take on each other's personalities. Um, they also kind of do that in a different way. Um, in the episode where uh, George stops having sex. Love that episode. His girlfriend stops having sex with him and he gets smarter. He's hitting home so runs Elaine out of Yankee Stadium. With, uh, yeah. yeah, Elaine stops having sex with her boyfriend, Bob Odenkirk. Yep. And she gets dumber. And so they it's kind of the same type of premise. So A, they repeat premises in, in sort of that way, in a somewhat similar way. Mm-hmm. But B, that is a sitcom trope that's been done in a bunch of other shows. And I think while they pulled it off beautifully, and I, in my opinion, the Kenny Rogers Roasters episode is the best example of that being done mm-hmm. of any sitcom. But it is something that Larry never would have done because he would say, this is hack. We've done it a million times. It's been done a million times in sitcoms. When, when, Jerry makes, <laughs> when Jerry makes Newman eat a piece of broccoli to see who that's for. And he, and he like almost dies choking on it. And he's like, vile weed. I, I thought that was one of the funniest things in that show's history for some reason. You would need a vegetable who was deep fried in chocolate sauce. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's things in season eight and nine where you can definitely tell the difference. And by the way, by all accounts, I was trying to desperately find Larry explaining in some other reason, you know, a a saucier reason, a more controversial reason why he left the show. But it really truly seems like he was just tapped out. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I've done it for seven seasons. And you know, the, the uh, legend behind Larry David on that show was he was always on the verge of quitting. Right. And he was always, he thought they were going to get canceled. He thought every episode was the last episode, you know, very nervous guy. And while it does seem like, you know, fabrication to kind of uh, bolster the reputation of what we now know as Larry David. Don't forget, this is Larry David before he made his money. Correct. You know what I mean? This is Larry David with no career going into writing a sitcom that he's never written before, you know? Um, so it, it does make sense. And it seems like he was just tapped out. By the way, another interesting show note from season seven, um, the season where George gets engaged to Susan. Mm-hmm. I never noticed this because I thought I thought that was the point of Susan's character. Um, the character of Susan, if you guys aren't familiar, uh, she's George's fiance, but doesn't fit at all with the rest of the, the gang. She's like, you know, in, in reality, you wouldn't see George being with Susan. It doesn't make any sense. And I thought that was kind of the idea behind George getting engaged. Apparently, Jason Alexander uh, and Julie Louis-Dreyfus, at the very least, I don't know if any other actors on the show complained or even really had to deal with her, um, but Larry David had problems with her as well as far as like delivery of lines. The chemistry just didn't seem to work. And Jason Alexander has since said that. like He's been very honest about saying, like, hey, it, I didn't think her comedic timing was very good. It didn't fit the show. She just didn't fit. And I guess... Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus jokingly said, uh, I just kill her off. And then Larry David goes, yep, that's exactly what we're doing. (laughs) 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 We're killing her off. And it's amazing because I don't know, not that she's a main character, but she was an integral character. She was in a lot. Like, 
a lot of the storylines in that season were based around Susan uh, in the sense of George, you know, getting engaged and having to deal with a fiance now. Um, so she was a pretty important character. And the idea of a show that's main rule was uh, no hugging, no learning. Like there was never a sentimental episode. There was never uh, uh, a very special episode where they take on, you know, drugs or uh, the AIDS epidemic or anything like that. They always managed to do it in a funny way. It's very impressive that a show was able to endure killing off a man's fiance <laughs> and just moving on, going, going right on. Like nothing happened. <laughs> he, wasn't he like, yeah, oh, well, I don't even. Well, then the very next episode, the season premiere of season eight is him uh, at her grave site. And they show her it's a uh, Jerry and Susan's parents looking over at George and they're basically like, I wonder if, you know, he's saying his final words to Susan and they just show George and he goes, and then we swept the Orioles <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, that was brilliantly done. Also to go back to that, no hugging, no learning thing. There was one episode, the, um, uh, uh, the network in the, I was going to say always in the early seasons, I assume they came around in the later years, but in the early seasons, they always lobbied for George and Elaine. I mean, it was George and Elaine, Jerry and Elaine to get together. Um, you know, and that was going to be their Sam and Diane, Jim and Pam. So I like pretty much every show has that except for Seinfeld and always sunny. Basically those are the, and by the way, sunny is basically just an FX version of Seinfeld. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Like that's, that is modern day, raunchier, more depraved Seinfeld. And they do it in a perfect way. I think to where it's not the same show. Uh, but clear, like we said about Woody Allen, clearly influenced by Seinfeld, but a very different show. Definitely. Um, but with, uh, uh, with the Jerry and Elaine storyline, they did one episode. You may remember, I believe this was season two, um, where Jerry and Elaine have the, uh, they, they set the boundaries. They're going to be friends with benefits basically. Yep. And they set the rules and inevitably it doesn't work. Elaine get, ends up getting very emotional. That's the closest they have to an ending where a, it's like, will they, won't they? I don't know. But also it's the closest they have to kind of a sentimental moment. Mm -hmm. But the reason that that was written is because uh, they they the next episode, they just move on. They never, it's never addressed again. And Larry David said he did that to throw them a bone and say, well, we know we did it. See, <laughs> we, we've done it and it didn't work out between them. It just, so sorry, we moved on. Yeah. And they have little nods to that. Like in the uh, finale, where Jerry and Elaine, it seems like they, they're going to say, I love you to each other, and they don't. Um, so stuff like that is kind of referenced throughout the show. But yeah, it's, it's a very rare show. I'm trying to think of another that holds that standard. I mean, South Park, obviously. Yeah. But I'm trying to, like, because uh, uh, even Family Guy has sentimental moments. Family like Guy that. is not the same show anymore. Oh, no, of course not. But I'm saying, like, they have, mo you know, Brian dies in that show. Like, they have sentimental moments. That's true. He died for like a whole season. <laughs> Sunny South Park and Seinfeld, I think, are the only shows that don't have any tender moments, don't have any relationship building. The characters don't evolve at all. In fact, well, in Sunny, they significantly devolve. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say that's probably true in Seinfeld as well. Um, And yet they do it perfectly. There's no, you don't need that, you know, which is kind of amazing that like, and I say this about Norman Lear where I say, you know, we pulled the shrubs over the trails he blazed. It's amazing that more shows didn't say, well, let's just strictly be funny. I know. You know what I mean? I would say 30 rock is close to that. Yeah. You know, they have their, they have some moments, but they're pretty damn close to never breaking. Yeah, because like even the office is like half sentimental, especially towards the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want, I I think the only show, because a lot of shows wanted to then be the show about nothing um, or be the Seinfeld. Uh, you know what's interesting? Um, Larry David sa- used to say that Friends was completely ripping off Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to say, well, Hey, if you want to see Seinfeld with people 10 years younger and more attractive, <laughs> um, but I don't see the, like, I think that's a very different show because they went the route of, you know, relationships and character evolution, something that I really feel Seinfeld, South Park, Sonny, and I'll, I'll throw 30 rock in there. I can't really think of another one that was able to do zero character development. Well, I think it was more, I think it was more so because Friends was a group of white people in the city who met at coffee shop. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, there's <laughs> definitely similarities. And you can even go back and see storylines where it's like, okay, they're going for a Seinfeldy thing. Yeah. But I guess I think maybe it's just that I think Seinfeld's so much funnier it's than not, I don't see the similarities. It's not even close. If you think Friends is funnier than Seinfeld, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Yeah, it, you know what it is too is like Friends was written for a different demographic. True. So if they were ripping off aspects of Seinfeld, that's probably true. But it was clearly written for a different audience. True. You know. True. Um, all right. So uh, self um, self absorbed comedy. Well, oh well. First, we got to talk about uh, the Jerry thing ending the show, right? Uh, it's this one, then the finale. Um, no, no, no. The, uh, 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 Jerry turning down $5 million an episode. Oh, yes. Yes. I, um, right. so, so yeah. And you know, we've, how long have we done? Do you know? About an hour. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want to go too long pontificating on the show cause we have some good things to get to. So maybe we'll circle back uh, depending upon how fast we get to the rest of this stuff. But Jerry turned down $5 million an episode. And to put that in perspective, 10 years later, uh, do you remember when Charlie Sheen was going on this Tiger Blood tour and all yep. that? I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> Charlie Sheen was the biggest actor on television at that time. Uh, certainly financially, he was making the most money. Mm-hmm. And he walked away from a million or $1.5 million an episode. Yep. The cast of Friends, and granted there were six of them, uh, but I believe they were each making about a million dollars an episode when it ended, or slightly more. Yep. So and these are some of the biggest shows ever. Like they say what you want about two and a half men. It still runs on uh, in syndication constantly. See, that was one of those shows that at the beginning it was, I thought actually funny, like in a, it was, uh, it was fine for a sitcom. I thought it was, you know a, what I mean? Like if you're someone who res- has the respect for sitcoms that I do, yeah. you're like, okay, not the early scenes aren't terrible, whatever, you know? Well, you got, you have to, if you got to get through how I met your mother. I, I'm a big How I Met Your Mother guy. Me but. too. Except the end. I It was terrible. We'll yeah. get to that but, that but yeah, How I Met Your Mother is a good example. That's very sitcom-y. So you kind of have to like sitcoms to watch that show. Right. Where Seinfeld is different. Uh, and Joe List, like I mentioned, um, 
hates television, but loves Seinfeld. Like, like he hates the Sopranos, but like he loves, so you don't need to be like necessarily a TV fan. To, it, 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 Seinfeld speaks to a very specific, even though it hit a massive audience, mm-hmm. I do think it speaks to a specific demographic, at least the people that like really love it. True. Um, but yeah, Jerry turned down 5 million an episode. It's fucking nuts. Um, so, I mean, credit to Jerry. Say what you want about him. And I have, but uh, ooh, that was corny. I hate that I said that. What? Say what you want about him, and I have. Um, but <laughs> I was literally looking something up, so I was kind of half listening. I didn't I get mean, it. folks. <laughs> <laughs> folks, <laughs> tell me how you really feel, Mike. <laughs> um, but point being, I've trashed Jerry plenty. Um, but turning down $5 million an episode. Now, maybe he had some insight into what he would make in syndication. Maybe, but still pumping out another season, 24 episodes, making $5 million an episode. That's tough to turn down, but he knew. And I think he, I think to Jerry's credit, he knew the show changed in the last two seasons without Larry. And he said, you know what? Why make another season before people catch on to that? Mm. You know what I mean? Like when you're on top, people are looking to tear you down. So why keep going and let people say, ah, you know what? Seinfeld fucking stunk at the end. They needed Larry. Uh, Cause look at the office. I truly believe people's opinion of the office changed <laughs> when Michael Scott left. Well, like Michael Scott leaving caused people to think the office wasn't quite as good a show as it was. I don't think it caused it. I just, it just wasn't. No, but no, 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 no. I, I would not, let me rephrase. Okay. I think the last couple of seasons without Michael are horrendous. Yes. But what, what I'm saying is it lowers the office's rank in all time television shows because they kept going past their prime. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so Jerry avoided doing that. So good for him. But all right. Enough of that. What's next? Self-absorbed comedy. Yeah, so let's hear that. And this is kind of a, a, a what was an early criticism of uh, the show Seinfeld. And uh, this is Larry and Jerry responding to it with, I believe, Bob Costas. Maureen Dowd wrote about a year ago in the New York Times uh, an article uh, headlined Yada Yada Yuppies. Uh, part of the article was uh, quoting uh, an editor from the New Republic, Seinfeld is the worst last gasp of Reaganite grasping materialistic narcissistic banal self-absorption. It is the apotheosis of yuppiedom. This is someone who has never seen Shakespeare. If you've ever seen, you know, A Midsummer Night's Dream, it's the same thing. All these people, self-motivated, conniving, tricking each other. This, this is classic comedy. That's this is really something that knows, a very good point. knows nothing about comedy. The whole idea that we came up with selfish, self-motivated behavior, like we invented that. It's really pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I, that's a great clip to show why I both love and hate Jerry. Yep. <laughs> yep. Because listen, he's right. The idea that they came up with self it's been around forever. Like right. they invented narcissists. It's crazy. They just did a better job poking fun at that than a lot of people do. But then to compare yourself to Bill Shakespeare... <laughs> Come on, Jerry, relax. But you know what? The guy created the best television show ever, so maybe he has that right. And he was also, he was also making it like it was more like the formula, not necessarily the, 
the I, content. No, I know. But it's just, it's just funny to have zero issue putting yourself in that realm. Oh, for sure. And not w- without a shred of irony saying, like, yeah, me, it's me, William Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> um, so now we're going to hear about the finale, right? Yep. Yeah, so the finale is another thing that's heavily scrutinized and criticized and done in a very funny way. Larry David did a great job at poking fun at that. Mm-hmm. Where uh, when he wants in the season seven of Curb, when he wants to get the cast of Seinfeld back together, he has to go individually uh, to each of the cast members and pitch it to them. And when he goes to Jason Alexander, Jason Alexander goes, uh, who, by the way, they do a brilliant job of injecting Jason Alexander as like Larry's rival in Curb. Yes. <laughs> The show that he is different than George Costanza. Yeah, it's very well done. Yeah, this is but, a this is a pamphlet. <laughs> oh, I'll get to that. Well, yeah, there's a clip that uh, is very similar to what you're referencing. Yeah, but um, with uh, uh, Jason Alexander's character, he goes, uh, you know what it would do is it would erase the finale and kind of be an apology that says we're sorry, we know it was terrible. <laughs> He's just trashing the finale. And Larry's going, I didn't think it was that bad. (laughs) But this is the Larry explaining the finale. And he perfectly encapsulates why I like it. Like, I liked the finale. Now, granted, I didn't watch it when it was on. Maybe if I, uh, you know, I was very young in 1998 uh, or 99. I think it ended in 98. And I was very young, so I wasn't watching Seinfeld at the time. Maybe if I was a little older, I'd say I hated it. But watching it when I did, I enjoyed the finale. And Larry hits all the reasons why I liked it. The last episode, as you look back on it, are you happy with it? I was happy with it, but uh, apparently some people weren't. And uh, I can't understand why. (laughs) I I thought it had all the elements for a a final episode. You tried to pull all the elements that had been part of the show for almost a decade together and at least make a nod toward them right in one episode yeah i I tried to uh yeah i I tried to write a finale um i I don't know what people objected to the reviews were mixed and uh one thing that was often heard was well it was pretty good but it wasn't as good as the general standard of the show how much did that sting we weren't doing the show. That wasn't an episode of the show. That was a special. And it was, you know, this is not an easy thing to do to wrap up a show because the show doesn't, there is no natural conclusion to these four people's lives unless you wanted to kill them all, which everyone thought we were going to do, or, you know. <laughs> and when Larry told me the idea that they would end up in prison, it just seemed like a really funny thing to have happen to them after just, after them being so, uh, Selfish. <laughs> killing them, I think they went the right way, by the way, because killing them would have been tough. Yeah. Plus, I like how you know he, I mean? as my, like I said, they pulled off the Susan death, but in the la- last episode, having them all die would have been a rough one to have pulled off. Oh, yeah. I think they did it perfectly. Having them go to prison, I think perfectly like shows you, hey, these were not good people, and it's a very funny thing. I think an ending with the same conversation it started with was very well done because it was a way of saying like, hey, we've run out of shit to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very well done. And the other reason I like it is because, like Larry said, they tried something different. And had they done just a regular episode of Seinfeld, 
you know, NBC says, hey, we want you back, and they just do an ep- a wacky episode of Seinfeld, people would have been, oh, this is bullshit. They should have done something special. Why not bring every character back? And they go to jail, and, you know. See, this is one of those situations where, like, I didn't love or hate the finale, but I don't know what else to do. I think that's about right. That's probably the right attitude to have about it. I don't think it was the greatest finale ever, but I like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good, and I thought – I can't imagine really a better way for Seinfeld to have ended. I'm so. sure there I'm sure there could have been, but I, I'm not the guy to think of it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought of it either. So, you know, call in folks, let us know. Um, um all right, what's next? Uh, one of my favorite clips ever, um, Larry King and Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, before that, uh, do I have the uh Jackie Childs thing before that? Uh do you have any notes I missed, I guess is what I'm asking. Uh oh yes, yeah, sorry, that is before. Um, yeah. Were there were there any other notes or no? Nope. This is the last note. All right. So the uh, Jackie Childs thing, uh, there were two spinoffs I heard. Well, there were a few spinoffs I heard in reference to Seinfeld. The two, well, really the one that I think could have been something. So the one that was the most r- rumored and talked about, and it's never been confirmed. There were re- weird rumors. I couldn't find Larry or Jerry specifically talking about it. Um. But by certain accounts, they were tied to this, and it was a Jackie Childs spinoff. Obviously, uh, Kramer's lawyer, who was essentially a Johnny Cochran. Who just put the bomb on? Yeah. Now, uh, could that have worked? I don't know. Yeah, obviously, you would have had to expand that character. Yep. It couldn't just be Johnny Cochran. I don't know how great, like a an actor that guy. Like, could that guy have carried a sitcom? I have no idea. Um, I will note, we played this on the Blind Mike Project a couple months ago. Yep. Uh, the actor who plays Jackie Childs is now in, what was it, Cheez-Its commercials or something? Uh, it was it was like Ooh, Cheez-Its. Who or, told you to eat Cheez-Its? Yeah, it was Cheez-Its <laughs> or Goldfish or some shit. I don't yeah, know. it was something like that. So, and then I mean, 20 years later, he's in this commercial. But uh, could that have worked? Maybe. I mean, if Larry, if Larry is writing it, or Larry and Jerry together. I'm not putting anything past them. And being a lawyer does lend itself to a series of one-off episodes. Correct. You know what I mean? Every episode has got a new wacky case to deal with. Yeah. And that's kind of what they were going to do originally when they were thinking about making Better Call Saul a comedy. Um, so that idea is not outrageous. I just think now you've got a kind of a corny sitcom rather than what Seinfeld was. Right. You know what I mean? Now you've got a guy and all, are you going to give him a love interest and a family or what? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that would have worked. The one I do like, I do kind of like the idea of this. And I've heard Jason Alexander talk about it. the way Jason Alexander talked about it. It felt like it was just his idea <laughs> and I couldn't find it getting any traction or going anywhere. But he suggested a show called Del Boca Vista, which is Morty and Helen Seinfeld and Frank and Estelle Costanza living in Del Boca Vista <laughs> and essentially being rivals. <laughs> That'd be great. Which I think could have been a really great show. That would have been great. Yeah, I mean, we would have lost King of Queens, unfortunately. I think we would have got it, but we would have got a few less seasons, I think. <laughs> right. I think there could have been uh, something there. So uh, that's interesting. Now, there were also, you know... Uh, Michael Richards got the Michael Richards show after there was speculation that he would play Kramer. None of the main four characters playing themselves in a spinoff would have worked. Nope. 
because you would have had to have the other ones. It wouldn't make any sense. And you could even say, well, George, I mean, curb your enthusiasm. He couldn't be George Costanza in a world without those other three characters. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Right. Um, you know, like Newman getting a spinoff again, I don't think would have worked. Oh, there, I believe there was also talk of a Kramer Newman spinoff or something. But it just, he lives across the hall from Jerry. It would have to, yeah, it would be Jerry moved. They all moved. He doesn't speak to any of these people who he saw every day for years. That's why I hate spinoffs in general. And that's why I think Frasier worked because they had to move across the country. And the people in Cheers, like they were his friends at the bar, but they weren't integral to his life. Right. You know what I mean? So that's why I think a spinoff is so tough. Um, and I'm glad they didn't do any of those, but I do think Del Boca Vista could have worked. It definitely could have. Cause even on the show, they were barely on it and they were in Florida and yeah. there was already some structure of what that place was like. Yeah, and, and those four characters are different enough from the four characters in Seinfeld that it could have been its own show. It could have stood on its own, you right. know, definitely. All right. What's next? Uh, Larry King. Oh, that's right. So, I mean, this is a very famous clip. Like I said, I look at this as a, if you've never watched Seinfeld, maybe you're go, you'll go down that rabbit hole. But really, I look at this as an episode for Seinfeld fans to jerk off. So hopefully <laughs> I'm hitting all the proper notes. And uh, this is a classic Larry, uh, Jerry going on Larry King, who I said we should incorporate more into this program. Hopefully I'm doing a good job of that. You're really cupping uh, the balls for the people listening. <laughs> Good, good, good. That's that's my dream, really. Uh, so Jerry's going on Larry King to promote B-Movie. And uh, this is what Larry asks him about Seinfeld. Lasted how long? Nine years. 180 episodes. You gave it up, right? I did. Sir. They didn't cancel you. You canceled them. <laughs> You're not aware of this? No, I'm, I'm asking you. You think I got canceled? Are you under the impression I, that I, I got canceled? You? I hurt you, Jerry. I thought don't, that was pretty well documented. This is, a, is this still down. CNN? Don't most shows go down a little? Most people do also. You <laughs> But... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I went off the air. I was the number one show on television, Larry. You were Do you know who I am? <laughs> Jewish guy, Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. 75 but, million viewers last okay. episode. Boy, you don't it take like it so dance. bad. Well, that's a, that's a big difference between being canceled and being number one. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll be right back. Jeez. B-movie opens. <laughs> B-movie opens. Can we get opens. a resume in here for B-movie me? B-movie opens <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> we'll be right back. Larry got actually mad there. That's a, that's a very funny Jerry moment. But yeah, Well, I, I, Larry does seem to get annoyed at the end. But I will say, I don't think Larry King gets enough credit for being self-aware and being funny. Because like when he says... Uh, have I hurt you, Jerry? <laughs> like, I, th- I thought that was funny. Like, I love Larry King. That's pretty funny. And the part that people don't even really notice, like Larry gets offended by, or Jerry gets offended by, like, you think we were canceled? What the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. The part that I'm obsessed with, just as an interviewer, he says to Jerry Seinfeld, is now Seinfeld lasted how long? As if that wasn't a very easy thing for the Turner Broadcasting Corporation to have found out. Well, that's why he said, is this still CNN? Because all of what he was saying was very easily, (laughs) easy to research. Yeah. Uh, Well, I've I've talked about it before, but I'm a big Larry King guy. So I just thought that was funny. Um, What's next? 75 million viewers, by the way, last episode. Um, The Super Bowl, I don't think, gets that now. Oh, no, they get over 100. Oh, do they? Yeah. 
All right, good. I'm glad you corrected me. Um, Jerry and Larry <laughs> celebrated SNL. <clears throat> um, oh, so this is great. This goes back to, I just love, this is the smugness in Jerry I enjoy. Yes. You know what I mean? Like this is Jerry being fun with his snarkiness or smugness, but it reminds me of the scene you mentioned earlier, Craig, mm-hmm. where they're, t- <laughs> they're just roasting uh, Jason Alexander's book acting without acting. Yeah. It's more of a pamphlet. <laughs> Everything's without now. Raise your kids without raising them. <laughs> and it's just, you can tell it's just Larry and Jerry enjoying each other and being funny. Yep. And, uh, this was and a absolutely dragging their nuts across everyone in the. <laughs> yeah, and just celebrating how great they were. <laughs> like they really did something that very few people, or you could say no people have done before. Um, so this is them. At, I think it's at uh, SNL 40, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Right? Yeah. Uh, so let's get up. Uh, hey, Larry David. Hey, hey, hey. hey. How you doing? Hey. Hey, look at this. Look at this. I can't believe this. That's unbelievable. Hey, what's going on? Let, let me ask you something. Yeah. Was I really a writer on, on Saturday Night Live? Yes. Larry, you were. You wrote here for one season. Huh. And uh, look how big that we hit it after that. Yeah, huh? I know. We had like the biggest show of all time. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, look at that. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and, you know, the, you can never do that now. No. The media landscape, such no. as it is. Possible. No. It, it, it's like we had the last two tickets before Disneyland burned down. <laughs> Beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, good for them. Just, as you said, dragging their nuts across everyone's face. <laughs> yes. Um, they're so, worth, yeah, they're mean, both worth about a billion dollars. It's fucking crazy. It is wild how much they made in syndication. And you know what's crazy is they used to say, well, they're the first people that could have gotten a deal like that. Because, um, you know, the example that everyone uses is like Gilligan's Island. Like the cast of Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island got really fucked. But pretty much everyone, 60s, 70s. Uh, even into the 80s, I think, got pretty fucked in syndication. And Seinfeld was one of the first to really make uh, a huge deal with that. And, you know, Ray Romano got a bunch of money. And so it, it, Friends, obviously, it changed. Well, the reason that him and Larry, they also created it. True, that's true, too. Yeah, which Ray didn't. And the cast of Friends didn't. No, that's why, so, that's why the syndication, they own it. So yeah. that's why they got all the money. Oh, for sure. But what I'm saying is the creators didn't get that kind of money back in the 60s or whatever, you yeah, know? Probably not. Um, so, you know, they were kind of the first to really have a deal like that. Now, Matt and Trey just signed a deal for $900 million um, with uh, uh, Paramount Plus, I yes. guess. Yep. To, but that's all. That includes future streaming stuff, like future things that they're creating. Yeah, like nine movies and... Yeah, so there's like really... to While they were like one of the first to do it, they're also, they were kind of one of the last to do it <laughs> in the sense that now there's syndication. It obviously exists. I mean, they just signed another, they sold Seinfeld to Comedy Central along with Friends in the office, um, which is all they play now on Comedy Central. The only thing. So syndication certainly still exists, but now you, no shows that are being created are also going to play everywhere on television all the time. Right. I don't think, I just don't think that's the case. Right. Um, so kudos to them, but this is uh, is this our last clip? Uh, we have two left, both uh, Jason Alexander. Oh, okay. One is uh, um, called continuing. 
Yeah, so this is something I didn't consider. Obviously, uh, Larry and Jerry made out pretty well, like we talked about. This is something I ne- never heard before, and I thought it was very interesting um, uh, uh, about the rest of the cast and what continuing would have done for them. I'll even give you a little bit more. Because Julia, Michael, and I are not partners in the syndication of the show, in which there was an enormous amount of profit to be made, we could no longer root for the longevity of the show because we knew, historically, you play an iconic character on a TV series, your career may be done. So we were going to have to spend an awful lot of time and energy getting the next gig if we were ever going to work again. And since Seinfeld wasn't going to be the annuity for us that it was going to be for Jerry and Larry and a couple of the other partners, continuing to make more of them was a self-defeating prophecy. We were going to contribute to our own eventual demise as actors. Um, we would have set ourselves up even better as, you know, having enough money to live off the rest of our lives. Financially, we could have done fine. But we were all still relatively young and we wanted to do other things with our careers. And this thing was going to stop us dead and we weren't going to profit from it. So we kind of went. I kind of I want to cut a clip of him saying uh, we all wanted to, like, further our careers and then just cut to Michael Richards at the <laughs> <laughs> at the Laugh Factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. Uh, I would say <laughs> maybe the damage was already done. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus, by the way, has one of the best television careers ever. Ever. And she's a tri- I mean, she's a trillionaire. She's the richest of all of them. I mean, of a trillionaire. Well, that, a lot a of billionaire. from her parents, also. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm just but, saying she has the most money out of all of them, which is crazy. So Julia Louis Dreyfus, um, obviously on Seinfeld, but she also. Uh, had Veep, I mean, a lot of people love, and I think it was a hilarious show, and that ran on HBO for seven seasons, I think. I think so. But the one a lot of people forget that went into syndication was The New Adventures of Old, old Christine. That was the most forgotten think, show ever. I mean, I, 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 think, I think my mom might have watched it when I was a kid, so I definitely saw episodes of it. Me too. I have no memory of whether or not it was funny, um, but like it lasted five seasons, which is very tough to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like that, and that ran in syndication for a while. I can't imagine you ever see it on now, but still, like that's an incredibly successful career to have three major successful television shows. Um, but the unfair advantage that I think she had is Elaine Bennis was essentially a regular woman. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I've, I like obviously there's an aspect of her that wouldn't necessarily exist in the real world, but George and Kramer kind of became like cartoonish characters. Right. And I think are so iconic and distinct in a way that Elaine's character wasn't that it was a lot more difficult for them after the show. Well, Michael Richards is the most fucked, even if he didn't do the N word thing. And he He, was such a great actor. Like maybe the best physical actor ever. Yeah. But he, he just, he just, you look at him. There's no hiding who he is. Well, that's why I, I thought of it when I mentioned the monk thing with uh, Tony Shalhoub. If if Michael Richards played monk, it, he just so he looks like Kramer. It would be hard to get past. <laughs> he's just he's just Kramer. That's him. You know, and I well, listen. A lot of people overcome that. So um, maybe it's just about getting a chance. 
Because Julia Louis Dreyfus dealt with that a lot too. And then someone just gave her a show, and it lasted. You know, it worked. It lasted for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I feel kind of bad for you know Jason Alexander in that way, uh, because he and that's how you rooted for the end of the show. So when Jerry, you know, had some integrity and wanted to end it, he was pumped, but it never really played out the way he wanted it to because he. He in the in particular, like Michael Richards, didn't have much going on, but also blew up his career. Yes, he did. <laughs> Jason Alexander, like, is a good actor, but it is tough because I see him pop up in things. He was in a couple episodes of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and uh, his his plot line was basically our bickering with Tony Shalhoub. And I was like, ah, oh, look at George and Monk getting at it. <laughs> that's, that's fun. <laughs> he was in. Um, uh- Shallow Hell. Shallow Hell. That might be the most bizarre role ever ever to cast Jason Alexander as like a dude with a tail. ladies' man. <laughs> and he had a tail. Yeah. Oh, that's something we didn't get to either, by the way, is the women of Seinfeld. Jerry, at the very least, in the show, is a comic who's been on the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. So he's a successful comedian. I I've always said he's probably in Seinfeld, the character Jerry Seinfeld is probably about the level that Mark Norman is at now. They, people might recognize him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's starting to play like theaters and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Whatever the 90s version of well, that is. Well, kind of. But every stand up clip, it looks like a club comic. He's in a club. Yeah. But you could argue that that's the seller, like which the real Jerry still plays the seller, you know? Or uh, probably Dangerfields, right? Right. Yeah, at that time, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, 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 he was certainly a successful comedian. The idea that he could re- reel in, uh, you know, Lori Laughlin mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and these people, that's not unbelievable. Right. It's not completely unbelievable. Well, they kind of address gr- it. George's girlfriends started to get pretty unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. But they, they kind of addressed it, too, in that episode when um, Elaine realizes Jerry has money. Uh, yeah. So and they, uh, I can't think of it that's the same one. But when George basically says uh, he gets stuck in your head, Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of address it in that. And they also kind of mock it with the episode where uh, Marissa Tomei is interested in him. <laughs> yes. So they do. They do mock it in a way. But it is just funny. The idea that Jason Alexander, tw- at least twice, uh, three times, I guess, if you count Pretty Woman. Right. But at least twice has played a, a real coxman. <laughs> um, all right. So what's our last clip here? Um, Larry playing George. Oh, yeah. So this is a clip from Curb, right? Nope. It's a sit-down interview. Oh. Maybe I might have fucked up here. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. That's your guide. You know, use those sensibilities and perceptions and... You'll muscle through this. One of these days, I've got to go back and try and figure out what episode it was, but it was within the first eight episodes where... It's interesting. You know, every... We probably should have played this earlier. Seinfeld rewrote the book on how to do a sitcom. I think I screwed this up anyways. We don't need to play the rest of this. (laughs) So what I meant... I think what I meant to have there... Is, you know, folks, uh, folks at home, go watch this on your own and pretend we played it seamlessly. Um, it's just a clip of Larry playing George on Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's great. Um, so in the reunion, in the re- one of the reunion episodes in season seven, the plot line is that uh, Larry, and Ju- Larry and Jason Alexander get into an altercation. Jason quits the show and Larry says, you know what? 
why don't I just play George? And there's a couple scenes where Larry is playing George. Um, now, obviously, in a real reunion, that would have been ridiculous. <laughs> it would have been insane because then it's not a reunion. Why would you not have all the characters back if you're having it? Doesn't make any sense. But the reason I wanted to play the clip or at least mention it is because of all the people that we mentioned, uh, whether it's Chris Rock or Danny DeVito or Steve Buscemi. I truly believe the only one where it may have been the same or possibly a better show is Larry David. For sure. Which no one knew at the time because he'd never acted before. Right. But I mean, the best proof of someone's work, like, listen, Jerry wrote the last two seasons of Seinfeld. People think whatever they want about him. I like them. Others don't. The best proof of how valuable someone was to a show is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Because he went on for now 11 seasons, 20 years later, <laughs> after Seinfeld ended, and was like, oh, yeah, I could do this on my own. Right. Um, and the other thing is, like, uh, in Seinfeld, basically, conservatively, I'm going to say 75% of the plots in Seinfeld mm -hmm. wiped away with the invention of cell phones. <laughs> Correct. Just, like a lot of the plots are someone leaving someone a voicemail at the wrong time and having to contact someone, but you can't get to a payphone. And, you know, that's a lot of the plot. We lost this person in the mall. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's a lot of Seinfeld's wiped away with the invention of the cell phone. Yeah. But Larry went on and proved he could write in any time. Now, you could argue the last couple of seasons of Curb. Not as great. They have not but been I would, great. I, I, would I would attribute that more to Larry David is now a billionaire who does not have the everyday problems of someone who's, you know, just living a, uh, an average life in New York. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he's just too far out of that world that it's probably tougher for him to write a show like Curb. But it'll pop up with a good episode every once in a while. I thought the MAGA episode was amazing. I thought yeah. it was great. Do you think, uh, what do you think is better, Peak Curb or Peak Seinfeld? That's a tough question. And it, I think what Seinfeld did was more impressive. Because I think I laugh harder at Peak Curb, but Seinfeld's, yes. Seinfeld's peak lasted longer. I, I, I think I laugh harder at just like, and even something simple, like uh, Larry being woken up by... Jeff and Susie's daughter. I was just going to fucking say that. He's telling her to shut, the, like, fuck shut the fuck up. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. That, that was literally going to be my I've laughed at a television show. <laughs> Me too. That was literally going to be my example. <laughs> so like I may have laughed harder at curb and my sense of humor might be like uh, dirtier or whatever the term would be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I might just like that comedy better. But if you look at Seinfeld, like they were able to write an entire episode about a masturbation contest without ever saying masturbation. Right. You know what I mean? Without even really using any of the normal terms for it. Like they say, you know, master of your domain and shit like that. Yeah. But they're not like making hand gestures and shit like that. Like that was very difficult to get around. And that's, you know, considered one of the best episodes of Seinfeld ever. I it's, it's up there for sure. Yeah. So it's, it, that's a tough call. I, I developed more of like a love for Larry David 
than I did for any one character on Seinfeld. Yep. So I almost feel like I have more an attachment to Curb. Yeah. For some reason. And there might be something to without the laugh track. It's more intimate or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know. It's tough. I've probably laughed harder at Curb, but I was watching Seinfeld completely in syndication. Don't forget. True. You know what I mean? Like I, I would watch Curb live. Like I would stay up, watch an episode. Whereas Seinfeld, it was like, it was on when I got home from school. You right. know what I mean? So I think my enjoyment of it, it, it's not fair to compare the two, I don't think. That's fair. That is fair. Oh, all right. Well, that was a long one. Yes, it was. Probably the longest, no? Uh, it's definitely top three. I don't quite know for sure. Well, Jerry, I hope I this was a nice <laughs> apology letter. I love you. And I love what you've created. And you're a very funny man. Just, you know, calm down with the high-minded comedy preaching. <laughs> Um, we, almost, we almost made it the whole time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this was, like I said, an episode for Seinfeld fans to jerk off to. I hope I hit the mark. Uh, let me know about it. And you can find links where you can let me know at blindmike.net. Our social media is there, um, as well as all the free links to the Patreon, uh, all the free links to the podcast and the Patreon. So uh, make sure you do that. Blindmike.net. Support the show. Excuse me. You can support Craig, verygoodshow.org. And I'm dying here. So we should probably wrap this up. We'll see you guys next time on Why You Laughing.